West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning, I, uh, and a special thank you. Will you join me in thanking the worship team and Jason and Cassie for bringing us worship this morning? Well, obviously, as has been mentioned, we are in December, and December and the Advent season and Christmas is when we, we celebrate and we participate and we anticipate and we decorate for one of God's great promises. And that promise is what you see up on the screen, unto you. In fact, it's said this way in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For, there it is, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we'll get to that account on Christmas Eve, actually, in a few weeks. But before we get there, before we even get there, I want to... I want to talk about the kind of the disconnect that happens in our minds. Uh, Because a lot of times when it comes to Christmas, we picture it the way it happened in Luke chapter 2, verses 11. And if you're familiar with the account, there's like this heavenly glory. You know, these angels appear to these shepherds. And so we we imagine the glory and we, we imagine Christmas happening that way. And truth be told, there was a time in my life when I was much, much younger that that's how Christmas felt. You know, it felt like this thing that just all was right with the world and everything was fine. Now, you you fast forward all these years later to 2022, and we've got some reminders that it's not so ideal. And, And to be honest, as we'll discuss in the coming weeks, that first Christmas was full of all kinds of stuff in the background that unto you showed up in the middle of. But I was reminded this last week. We had a, um, a field trip with uh, our son, Lincoln. He's in third grade, and in third grade in Jefferson County Public Schools, they do this thing called Day in Denver. So we went down to Day in Denver, and as you can imagine, it's in Denver, okay? And we get down there, and you go to these different landmarks, and there are some different landmark buildings in downtown that have these plaques on the, on the brick wall. So the first one we went to it's talking about, you know, this building was established you know, decades and decades and decades ago and all that it was used for and what the original purpose was. And then it says you can still see the original train tracks that this building served a purpose in, in what was going on. You can still see the train tracks down the alley on the side of the building. And so there were three of us parents and we were with the group of our three kids and I went, let's go down the alley. I mean, no parent thought of that when they signed the waiver, but we should go down the alley in downtown Denver. So we peer around, and we're looking down this alley, looking for these train tracks. And as we were about to look further down the alley, we were reminded. We were reminded of the brokenness of this world. And you see people that are literally living in alleys. It's a reminder of the brokenness of the world, even the nation, the community that we live in, the brokenness of humanity. And if nothing else, I've just been reminded of the number of uh, hospital visits and funerals that there have been lately. The truth is, none of, that, none of that goes on pause because it's Christmas. None of it does. But over the next few weeks, here's the encouragement I want to offer, and here's the assurance and the comfort and the peace for us as Christians It's actually in the midst of all that that God showed up and he said, unto you a Savior is born. And that's a far better promise 
than everything being fixed and everything being set right. He says, no, no, no. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of the brokenness, unto you a Savior is born. And so over the next few weeks, you know, we're used to the account in Matthew and and in Luke and in John that that points us to that first Christmas here on earth. But we're actually going to, we're going to look back because as you look across scripture, unto you is something God has been saying from the very, very beginning. He's saying, unto you, there's a redeemer. Unto you, there's a deliverer. Unto you, a savior is born. And when you begin to look at the situations in which unto you showed up in, it's source for great comfort and great assurance for us. And so this morning, we're going to go all the way back, all the way back. I mean, there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the coming of a Messiah, of a savior. But we're going to look at just three of them over the next few weeks. And this first one goes all the way back into Genesis. Okay, this is Genesis chapter 3. You know the story, okay? The serpent tempts the woman, eat the fruit, the the forbidden fruit. She eats it. She offers it to her husband. We've been blaming each other ever since. You know, it's just how it goes. But on the heels of this, this original sin, the original fall of humanity... God has a conversation. And in this conversation, what feels like he's just, he's just so angry, you begin to see this promise unto you. Unto you pops up. And it's not exactly in those two words, but let's dive into it and take a look. This is Genesis chapter 3. God is talking to the serpent. He's basically discovered what has happened because he's God. He knows. But he's looking at what has happened, and here's what he says. To the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he says this, and this is something you don't have to remember this word. It's referred to as the proto evangelium. And what it is, is it's really the first appearance of the gospel in all of Scripture. It's this first promise to us. But you have to, you have to stop and you have to kind of walk through it, which is what we're going to do. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall strike his heel. Now I want to come back to the first part of this because there's this word there, enmity. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, the dictionary defines enmity as this. It's the state of feeling, or the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Now, if I were to just be honest, this is one of those things that when I first became a Christian, this would have been such a strange idea to me. But enmity is a Christian's reality. Enmity is a Christian's reality. Now, we don't think that way, do we? Because there's all this language. You know, you you listen to Jesus teach, and he frequently is talking about love one another, love one another, love one another. But this is a different kind of enmity. Remember what Paul said? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. And so when you get to enmity, this is what we're talking about here. In other words, in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden... Evil incited something, and God declared war. God declared war from the beginning. He says, there will be enmity. 
That's the reality for a Christian. It just is. There's a, there's a story uh, told by a man named Fred Whitfield. Fred Whitfield is the chief operating officer of the Charlotte Bobcats, NBA basketball team. And he tells this story about Michael Jordan. They go out to dinner one night, and Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players who has ever lived, he, he asks for a jacket. It's a little bit colder than he thought it would be, so he asks for a jacket, and Fred Whitfield says, sure, just you can go into my closet and you can pick something out. Michael Jordan went into this closet. You know what he found? He found all kinds of Nike apparel, which had been given to Fred Whitfield because of his relationship with Michael Jordan. And then he looked, and there was all kinds of Puma gear. Now, how do you think Michael Jordan felt about that? I mean, he's not competitive at all, is he? And so... He, he looks at all this, and Fred Whitfield said what happened next, just he, he couldn't believe it. Michael Jordan took every piece of Puma gear, took it out into the living room, grabbed scissors and a butcher knife, and sliced it all up right in front of Fred Whitfield. And he said to him, he said to him, you cannot ride the fence with me. And I thought, there it is. There it is in the beginning. I mean, if Michael Jordan did that, how much more? Did God look at this thing that so separated us from him? And he says, there will be enmity between you and this thing that keeps you from me. From me, It's just going to happen. Now, enmity, that's not one of those things you wake up in the morning and you think, well, I'll just, I'll just develop some enmity toward um, these vague powers and principalities this morning. That's not how it works. See, God actually, in this account in Genesis, he describes exactly how this is going to happen and exactly how this sense of enmity grows within us. Here's what he says. He looks at the woman and he says to her, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. And that last part, all the women said, amen. Amen. We have contrary desires, don't we? But did you catch the two things in there? He said to the woman, you are going to go through this life with pain, and you're going to go through this life with contrary desires to the one that you are linked to, that you are married to. And then he turns to the man. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, notice what happened here. God, in his incredibly loving character. I mean, this just sounds like huge trouble, right? But do you notice what he cursed? He cursed the serpent and he cursed the ground. But he didn't curse humanity. He didn't curse humanity. Now, if I could go back to the days I had a lawn business, I would actually point at this. I would actually charge people for this. Listen to this. Cursed is the ground. When people would call me about work needing to be done on their lawn, you know what I'd say? It's sin. It's just sin. It's cursed. I will charge you. I'll pray for it, and you can pay me money for it, okay? That's, that's how this, this could work. I might start a lawn business again, okay? So anyhow, but he continues, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. The first time I read this, I went, oh, no, that's the worst part right there. I'm going to become a vegetarian, like, because of the plants of the field? No, it's not what he's saying. He's saying the ground. You will still be sustained by it, but it's going to bring burden. And it's going to bring trouble for you. 
He closes with this, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. There's trouble and there's burden in the midst of all this. And he's not just saying it to Adam and Eve. Did you catch what he said a little bit ago? It'll be your offspring and the seed of the woman's offspring. That is, this is going to keep going. This isn't just limited to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. This pain and, and the desire thing and the burden and the toil, it's going to keep going. See, that's how Christmas feels sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it feel like you're carrying Christmas? I'm noticing as I get older, it feels like I'm, I'm having to carry Christmas more than celebrate Christmas because I'm reminded. I'm reminded of loved ones that are no longer here. I'm reminded of broken relationships. I'm reminded of the stuff that hasn't worked out. We tend to go there this time of year, especially as we get older. It's just going to happen. And so our constant companions, our constant things that we carry, pain, desire, trouble, burden, it's, they're constant companions to us. I mean, you get this, right? Whenever something doesn't work out, what does it produce? Longing. We long for something. I mean, this is way less of a scale for some of you. But when your team loses to their rival, well, let's just say when Michigan loses to Ohio State 15 out of 16 years, you want to know what happens? A deep sense of longing that is so excited this year. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that any further. I just I got to do it while I can. And there are many Ohio State fans in here that I, I truly love. Only in Christ. Okay, so um, <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? Um, see, enmity works towards something. God didn't give us enmity to punish us. Enmity is the vehicle. Enmity is the instrument he will use to grow our longing for a deliverer. And this is where we come back to what God said to the serpent. Come back to it again. Look at the second part. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall crush your head and you shall strike his heel. Did you catch the difference there? He will crush you. But serpent, you, your offspring, at most, you can strike. But you will not crush And so look what God does in this incredible grace. We've talked about this passage before, but I'm so taken by this. Verse 20, the man, it it switches over to the man. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Do you notice what happened there? There was this redemption. There was what Eve was originally created for. And the man said, yes, I affirm that. I'm going to point you at that. And now God goes. Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So humanity in the midst of carrying these burdens, he says, look, you're going to carry the burden, but you know what? You're going to get something. You're going to receive favor that puts you back into your original purpose, what I created you for. 
But there's also this thing called investiture. And if you're not familiar with investiture, investiture is really the act of clothing or honoring somebody with distinction. And so what, is God, what do we see God doing here? It's under the banner of sacrifice. A living animal had to be sacrificed. And it's skins given to clothe this investiture idea, to clothe Adam and Eve. Even is they would deal with pain and toil and burden and contrary desires. I mean, there's just something so beautiful about it. I, I love the progression of this. Because we as humans, we feared, and God thought of us. They had tried to, if you read the account right before this, they had tried to hide from God, and he found us. We fell short, and he clothed us. See, enmity. The kind of enmity that God was referring to, he says, you're going to carry it and it's going to produce a sense of longing for a deliverer and you have one. And Adam and Eve couldn't have known at that time unless there's conversation that we're unaware of here, but they couldn't have known that that was found in Jesus. But because you and I, we live on this side of the first Christmas, because we live on this side of the cross, you know what you and I know? We know who that seed of the woman was. We know who that seed is, who though he was struck by evil, he's the one. He's the redeemer. He's the deliverer who will crush the head of evil. And so there's a reminder in all this. There's a reminder, and maybe this is just what you need today. You know, I, I'm not asking you to walk out, here, walk out of here and do anything. That'll be coming in the next couple of weeks. I want you to walk out of here and know something. That to those who carry Christmas, you got to remember it's unto you, not done with you. God looks at us and he says, look, with the pain and with the toil and with the burden, you got to know it's unto you a Savior's born. Not done with you. God's not done with you. But that's how we interpret it, right? When we don't know, when we haven't spent time to understand and experience his loving character, I've shared this before. It comes from one of the greatest TV shows ever made, 24. You remember 24? Jack Bauer? All right, there's 12 of us. They're going to have a viewing party. Okay, anyway. So years ago, I'm watching 24, and they just, they were so good at, like, not just every episode, every commercial break. You're like, <sighs> we got to get back. We got to get back. I got to find out what happens, right? And this is why you binge-watched it for like 34 hours straight, just hypothetically speaking. But anyhow, you, there's, one, there's one scene I remember. Jack Bauer, he's the hero, and he's about to like fall out of this helica- helicopter that he's he somehow jumped up and he's, he's caught it. He's holding on by like one hand, and then it slips to like two fingers, and he's, I don't know, hundreds of feet in the air. And then they cut to a commercial. And you're left going, is he going to make it? Like, I'm, you know, and, and you don't dare, you don't dare move, okay? You're going to endure the commercials and all that. Well, this commercial comes on, and it's for the next week's episode of 24. And I went, he's there. He makes it. That's this passage. In fact, those are the Messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament. Before that first Christmas, you know what God said? I'm not done with you. It's unto you. You have a Savior in the midst of it. 
And yes, you're going to carry burdens. And yes, there's going to be pain. And yes, you're going to toil. And it's in the midst of all of that, I say unto you, a Savior is born. A Savior arrives. A Savior comes to you. Now, you know, you, you look back at Genesis and you can pull all these themes out of it. And we've got this picture of this story going on. But you want to know where this really lands? That first Christmas. You know, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you read about the terrible position that Joseph was in. Joseph, he's a man who's devout. He's faithful to the law. He knows that the announcement of his fiancée, that she's pregnant, what that was going to do for the perception of him and her. You know, so you get to Matthew chapter 1, and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't want to dishonor her. I don't want to hurt her. And he's got this plan in mind. He goes to bed, has a dream, and the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. You're not leaving her. This is God's doing. You're going to take her to be your wife. You're going to go through with this. And I cannot imagine, I would love to one day have a conversation with him. What was it like every single day to wake up knowing you can't possibly get to everybody who knows about this and know how misunderstood you are? And, and, and how much they, that their assumptions and their opinions and all their thoughts are wrong. But there's not enough time in the day to go set everybody straight. Or Mary. You get to Luke chapter 2. And we read this account where um, Joseph and Mary, they're making this, it's basically a 90-mile trip to Bethlehem for the census. Now, here's what's unusual about that. Rarely did you see an engaged couple together without parents in that day. And when you get into like the Greek language there, you start dealing with participles and, and all the students are cringing right now because this feels like school again. But um, there's, there's, a, there's a debate in what it says in Luke chapter 2. Because in Luke chapter 2, one implication is Mary joined Joseph in going to, to uh, Bethlehem, joined him in going there because she was pregnant. In other words, there's like a sense of duty. There's a sense of obligation. Now, there's another translation, and it says, although she was pregnant. And right now, every woman in here is like, it's although, all right? It's although, because you can think of this journey, nine months pregnant, and whether they were walking or she was riding on a donkey, the discomfort would have been all the same, although she was pregnant. Now, if a couple was never seen without parents, during those times, then what, what was going on here? One scholar put forth his opinion. He said, is it possible that she had disgraced even her parents, that they wouldn't be seen with her, that she had nowhere else to go but to accompany her soon-to-be husband for this census? I think so. I think so. See, in the midst of that relational pain, and the toil, and the burden, and the having to carry this. She's literally carrying a baby within her, and she's possibly carrying the broken relationships, and Joseph as well. And it's in the midst of that that God says, unto you, unto you. In fact, what he had said to Mary was, you are highly favored. Wow. So in the midst of the burden, in the midst of the pain, is it possible You are highly favored because he has said, unto you, a Savior is born. Now, let me come to us for a minute. 
Isn't it, isn't it just a reality for all of us? And we just gravitate toward that ideal Christmas, don't we? And truth be told, it's a facade. You know, if you remember a perfect Christmas, it was likely when you were a kid. And you know what I'm grateful for is that my parents didn't tell me all the pain and the burden and the toil that was going on. You know, you, you, sometimes you find out years later. But every single one of us, we had that lurking in the background of Christmas. And that's what makes me even more grateful. Is that a God who looked upon humanity when they'd fallen short and all the consequences of that, he says, unto you a child, a savior is born. Recently, there's just been a number of, I mentioned it, number of funerals. You know, one of the hardest things to reconcile when we've lost somebody is, God, are you, you're in this? I, I just don't see it. I just don't get it. And one of the great reminders that comes out of Psalm 23, you've got this imagery of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And then the strangest thing shows up in the middle of that valley. Psalm 23, what do you read about? There's a table. Okay, I've never walked through a valley and found a table. But you show up, you walk through this valley, and there's a table. And the psalmist says this, You have prepared a table before me in the presence of of my enemies, in the presence of the pain, in the presence of the toil, as I carry the burdens, as I've got these contrary desires, you prepare a table before me. You know what it reminds us? No. He doesn't deliver us from it, but he provides deliverance in the midst of it. And then one day, one day, what God promised in Genesis chapter 3 He points us to it in Revelation 21. One day, that crushing of evil will come. Let me read this out of Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. If there's anything I would point you to as we begin Advent... It's this reminder that right now, we're not delivered from it. We're delivered in the midst of it. But one day, one day, he will deliver us from it. We will no longer need deliverance in the midst of it. And so you hold on. You walk out of here knowing he's not done with you. It's unto you. A Savior is born. We will pick up there next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, We have no idea. We have no idea the riches of the promises you have made. Not just starting in the New Testament, but all along the way. From the very beginning of time, Lord, we thank you for that incredible promise. As backwards as it sounds, that you would give us enmity because it would produce a longing for our deliverer that we now know 
on this side of the first Christmas, on this side of the cross that we know is our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray that for every single person in here, whether they feel they're carrying Christmas or they're, they're more in the celebratory mood of Christmas, Lord, open our eyes today in the coming weeks as we look at where these prophecies and promises showed up. Open our eyes to your great unto you promise. Unto you, a Savior is born. Write that on our hearts and open our eyes and our ears to see it and to hear it. And as we'll discuss in a few weeks, to go and proclaim it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.